Well, good morning, and a really warm welcome to you all to Ladywell Baptist Church and to our service of worship this Sunday morning. What a great way for us to begin a new week by coming together into God's presence and singing his praises, hearing from his word and coming before his throne of grace in prayer together. At the beginning of this week, uh, a few things to mention to you, not just for this coming week, but actually for the next several weeks. So uh, you may want to make a note of some of these uh, days and dates uh, for your diary. Uh, As usual, on Wednesdays, we'll be having our prayer meeting and Bible study. That's half past seven on Zoom. We continue in Matthew's Gospel and uh, in prayer for our church, our community, and for our world. Uh, We're also aiming over... Uh, not uh, October, but into November, at the beginning of November, uh, to start back meeting, uh, having live services in the church on Sunday mornings. And it's our proposal that we're going to start on Sunday the 8th of November. That's the second Sunday in November, two weeks from now. And uh, numbers for that will be limited, as you'll understand, because of the, um, the social distancing that we still have to have in place. So it will be on a first come, first serve basis, but you must book ahead of time uh, so that we know how many people we have and how many seats we will have available. And if you would like to come to that service, uh, then please get in touch with Gordon. Uh, and if you could do so well ahead of time, that would be great to make sure that you do get a place at that. We won't have a creche or Sunday school yet. It will be our aim if lockdown continues that we will have provision for that in place uh, in the following weeks and months. But to begin with, it is just going to be uh, gathering here in, uh, in the church for uh, our usual church service, although there will be some slightly unusual elements of that, as you'll understand. So uh, if you would like to come along and you do have children, uh, then that is fine, but the expectation will be that they will sit with us through uh, the whole service. There won't be any activities for them to go out to. And if they're able to do that, then that's perfectly fine, uh, and we would want to make them feel welcome and part of our service as much as anyone else. Uh, but we want to make you aware that there won't be any uh, activities for them during the service uh, on the 8th of November. There will be recorded services. We're not currently able to live stream yet. That's coming. We're we're nearly there. Uh, But we will be recording services and putting them online, so this will still be available uh, online each Sunday if you don't feel that you're able to come. And we don't want you to feel any pressure to come if you um, for health reasons or simply that you just don't feel safe meeting together in an enclosed space we entirely understand Uh, but if you would like to come and worship together then uh, we want to make you feel welcome and able to do so on the 8th of November if you want to know more information about that then just get in touch with myself or one of the deacons but if you could book with Gordon ahead of time that would be absolutely fantastic We're also aiming to have uh, another Q&A evening. We had one of those a month or two back and it went really well and I think folks were keen to have another one. And so we're planning another one of those for Thursday the 19th of November at half past seven. That will be on Zoom and I'll send out the details for that uh, well ahead of time so that you uh, are able to connect in with that. But if you have questions, nothing necessarily to do with lockdown or coronavirus or or, or the church meeting, nothing to do with any of that, just 
any questions. We, we dealt with a wide range of questions on our last Q&A evening where we considered um, difficult Bible passages or um, some difficult issues that we're facing at this time. Uh, and it was a really encouraging evening. So we're planning to do that on Thursday, the 19th of November at half past seven on Zoom. And so if you would like to participate in that, then, um, then please do come along. And if you have questions that you would like to submit ahead of time, uh, then please do that either by phone, by email, or by text, uh, or by letter, or carrier pigeon, or any other method that you fancy. Just get in touch with myself, pass on any questions, uh, and we can, uh, we can hopefully have an encouraging and a challenging evening uh, of discussion together on Thursday the 19th of November. On Wednesday the 25th of November, the deacons and I are proposing that we hold our AGM uh, as you'll know, we um, weren't able to hold that in May as we would usually do, and it's now coming up to the time when we would normally have our half-year meeting in November. Uh, and so we, we think it's right that we hold our AGM uh, at this point. So we're going to do that on Wednesday, the 25th of November at half past seven. That will be on Zoom. Uh, now, if you are not able uh, to connect in on Zoom, then get in touch with me. And if you would like to be at the at the church AGM, uh, then we want to try and make that possible if we can. Uh, so get in touch with me and we'll see what we can do to, to make that possible. Uh, again, we'll send out the information on Zoom uh, to connect into Zoom closer to the time uh, so that you've got all the details that you'll need for that. Um, there are a number of things that we do need to discuss. Uh, it's mainly information that we're sharing uh, and that there won't be too many things that we would need to, to vote on because we understand doing an AGM online is far from ideal. So we will try and keep the, um, that business to a minimum, but there are some things that we do need to do um, this year. And so we'll have an opportunity to do that on Wednesday the 25th at the church AGM. The reports for that have all been gathered in uh, and so they'll be distributed um, closer to the time if you don't have a copy of the church reports. As we come together uh, to worship this Sunday, we begin our time uh, by hearing these words from Psalm 47. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. He sits on His holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Psalm 47 is a very triumphant psalm considering God conquering the nations of the world. And we understand that in light of all he's done in Jesus, not to be um, a militaristic conquering with armies going out uh, and laying waste to the world, but the Lord's kingdom covering this whole earth as his royal rule extends over uh, all people as the church grows and flourishes and thrives uh, and as God's royal rule through his people extends over all the earth. And it's our joy to be able to gather together in light of that this morning that we are part of God's people, part of his kingdom, his royal rule here on earth. And so it's a joy for us to sing praises to our God but also our King, our leader, our ruler, our Lord.
And so as we come to worship this morning, let's pray together that we would follow where he leads and that we would be um, good and obedient citizens of his kingdom, worshipping him in spirit and in truth wherever we go and whatever we do over the coming week. Let's pray together. Our sovereign Lord, we give you thanks for who you are and for all that you have done for us. Lord, we thank you that you are our God, our creator, but also our Lord, our ruler, our master, the one to whom we submit and ask that you would lead and that you would give us the strength that we might follow. Lord God, as we come before you in worship this morning, it is an act of our submission to you that we sing your praises, that we hear your word and seek to work it out, apply it to our lives, that we come before you in prayer and, Lord, ask that you would enable us to worship you in every circumstance this coming week. So, Lord God, we come and we ask that your kingdom would grow that it would be firmly established here in Ladywell through our congregation and indeed across Livingston through all the congregations of your people who worship you in faithfulness this morning. Lord, we would have uh, your people here within this church who have need ministered to, encouraged, built up. Lord, we would have our, our fellowship challenged and, Lord, engaged with your word that we might go out and live for you. Father, we would minister to the people of this community who have great need. Oh, Lord God, we ask that in every way your kingdom would come, your will would be done here in Ladywell as it is in heaven. And Lord, to that end, we ask today in this time that you would give us our daily bread. Lord, you would build us up and satisfy us that we would be ready to live for you. And so, Lord, we might honor you in this place. Lord God, we ask all this in our Saviour's precious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our reading this week is in Genesis. We're continuing our series in Genesis. This week we're reading from Genesis chapter 39. We'll be considering 39, 40 and 41 a little later in our service during the sermon. Uh, but we'll read Genesis 39. Again, picking up the story of Joseph. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. For Joseph's sake, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? 
And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of the Lord and we give thanks to him for it this morning. As we come to this point in the story of Joseph in Genesis, it's tempting for us to read the story with the end, how it all comes uh, together in mind. It's one of those things we can't help but do that. We know the whole story. We know how it works out. We know how history unfolds beyond the end of Genesis uh, and on into Exodus and so on, we can see where all this is going. And so it's hard for us to, to read this and to put ourselves in Joseph's place and, uh, and to understand uh, exactly the, the frustration and the difficulty that all of the turmoil at this point in his life must have brought him. But we can look at our own lives and recognize so much of the frustration that Joseph must have experienced. We do not know what tomorrow will bring. We've uh, been saying almost every month since the beginning of uh, lockdown, since this pandemic started, that it will just be another month or just another couple of months. And every so often we're reminded we have no idea what the future will bring. What started out as a few weeks turned into a couple of months, turned into six months, and now we're looking at best at Easter 2021 uh, for the, the end of this lockdown. And I wonder even if, uh, if it might come at that point or if this will in some way be the new normal for us to, um, to deal with uh, month by month as we head into the future. Who's to say we don't know what the future will hold? And neither did Joseph when he went through all of these experiences. And he must have wondered what on earth was going on in his life where he'd been receiving these dreams from God that he would be great in his family. His family would bow down before him and yet now he is a slave. He was going to be murdered by his brothers but he's been sold as a slave into Egypt. And in our passage today, 
And in chapters 40 and 41 following on from this, we find that his life continues to go on these massive ups and downs as he experiences great triumph and blessing and then terrible loss and suffering, as we all do in our lives. And we remember as well that Moses is writing this down, is recording this, is telling this to begin with to the people of Israel in the wilderness because they are going through that same experience. They've experienced the great moment of liberation as they left Egypt and it looked in that moment as if everything was great. They walked out with the the wealth of Egypt, we read. And yet so soon after that, they were pursued by the armies of Pharaoh and all seemed to be lost. And then they experienced a great note of triumph as the Lord carried them through the Red Sea and drowned the armies of Pharaoh that were unjustly pursuing them. And, And then all of a sudden all seemed to go well. And then the frustration and the backbiting began as they walked out into the wilderness and realized it wasn't going to be easy. And then the Lord condemned them to walk in the wilderness for decades because of their unbelief, their idolatry, their lack of faithfulness to him so that they would not see the promised land but their children would. Again, despair, frustration, anxiety, perhaps that feeling that that God isn't with them at all. How can we be experiencing so many ups and downs, so many detours on the route to where we're supposed to be going if God is truly with us? And maybe that's how you feel today. How can God be leading me on through this life when it seems to be one step forward and two steps back constantly? How am I supposed to understand my life, my place in church, the church's place in the world, when there are so many setbacks. Is God in control? Do I really love him? Am I really following in his way? Does he really lead me on? It's interesting to note the parallels between us and Israel and Joseph, and even in the life of Jesus, as we see triumphs and setbacks constantly in his life and in his ministry in the Gospels. But we know this is the human condition, don't we? There are numerous examples, but one that uh, came to my attention the other week was that um, when James Dyson was producing a a vacuum cleaner, it took the testing of 5,271 prototypes before a design for a successful vacuum cleaner that would work actually came about. Now, we look at that and we see the genius of Dyson and all of his many inventions, and we think that he just sits down with a pen and paper, sketches out a few ideas, and then goes and manufactures it. And yet it took years and thousands of failures in order to produce the finished working article that eventually is manufactured and shipped. Success was never a guarantee. It was always a possibility that they might utterly fail and not get to the the finished article. And so it is for us, isn't it? Success and failure. And Our desire to see success come is never a guarantee that it will actually come to pass. As we come to this point in Joseph's life, we are encouraged as we read chapters 39, 40 and 41 because it reveals to us that the Lord goes with his people. Regardless of whether we feel like we're going forwards or backwards, the Lord goes with his people. Regardless of whether we're experiencing triumph and success or defeat and failure, the Lord goes with his people. 
And if you are one of his people this morning, if you have trusted in Christ for your salvation, called out to him to lead you and forgive your sin, then the Lord goes with you, whether you feel it or not, whether you see it in your life or not. The Lord goes with you. He goes with his people through times of great injustice. And in chapter 39, we see things have really taken a turn for the positive in Joseph's life before it all comes screeching to a halt again. He's been sold into slavery and we find that the Ishmaelite traders who bought him from his brothers have taken him down into Egypt and as it happens in the providence of God he's been sold as a slave into the household of Potiphar who is an incredibly influential and powerful man in Egyptian society. And we find that as Joseph is set to work in this household as a slave then everything he does just turns to gold. He he succeeds at everything. And in the passage we read, that is because the Lord prospers all that he touches. Everything that Joseph does works out because the Lord is with him and is leading him and is guiding him. And so Joseph understandably finds favor in the eyes of Potiphar. You would, wouldn't you, if, if everything you do works and all the other servants have their successes and their failures, but this one guy just seems to do everything perfectly every single time Of course, Potiphar is going to notice him and we find that Potiphar elevates him to the very highest position in the household. And this isn't unusual in the ancient world, even within the bounds of slavery, even in the Roman world. Millennia later, when uh, in the time of Jesus and beyond, household slaves could be incredibly powerful and influential within the household. But they were still slaves for all that they might have rule over everything under their master. And so it is with Joseph. And we find that as he is faithful to the Lord and faithful to his master, uh, so God blesses him. And, and we find everything going well until Potiphar's wife comes along. And she notices that this man who is around the household often is really very good looking, is in control of everything he does. He seems to be just the master of everything and she's attracted to him and we can understand that attraction and she seeks to cheat on her husband with Joseph she asks Joseph to come and to sleep with her but Joseph demonstrates the godliness of his character his faithfulness to God that's resulted in his uh, his work being blessed because although this seems like he could get away with this I mean He has rulership over the whole household. He can make sure that all the servants are out of the house at a certain time in the day. He can order things so that he could conduct this affair and no one would ever know. He could use this as a means of gaining even more power and influence over the household if he so desired. And yet he says in verse 9, There is nobody in the house greater than I am, save your husband. There is nothing that is out with my power. The only thing he's kept back from me is you because you're his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Not against Potiphar, not against you, not against the household, although it would be, in a sense, a sin against those people to betray them in that way. But his first priority is his faithfulness to God. This is not God's desire. And so how can I possibly do this thing? And she didn't give up day after day after day, but he wouldn't listen to her. And eventually she finds herself in a situation where she really has him in her power. 
There's no one else around. She grabs hold of his, uh, his coat. Again, a coat gets Joseph into trouble. It was his coat of many colors out in the wilderness when his brothers ripped it from his back and tore it and, and covered it in blood and presented it to Jacob to say he is dead. And now this garment that signifies his position and his power is again his downfall as she grabs it and Joseph, knowing that he's in trouble here, there's no one else to see and, and to bear witness to what's going on, he just pulls the jacket off and runs. He leaves it. And Joseph is not an idiot. He must know that he is now within the power of Potiphar's wife because he's left his garment there and yet there is nothing for him to do. He simply must stand uh, and be faithful as he always has done and she uses this to um, bring her vengeance to bear on the man who spurned her. How dare a slave spurn somebody like me? And so she lies to the servant, she calls them in, and then she sort of creates this ridiculous scene when Potiphar comes home where she sort of arranges the garment next to her um, in her room and she sort of lies beside the garment as if she's been there the entire time, as if Joseph has literally just fled. And when Potiphar comes in, she says, look at what's happened. He's left his robe right here and has fled because he sought to take advantage of me. He was mocking me. And the implication is he was uh, trying to take advantage of her and force himself uh, upon her as a slave taking advantage over this wealthy, high-born woman. And as soon as Potiphar hears these words, he's duped by his wife and he has Joseph immediately carted off into prison where the king's prisoners are confined. And yet even in this moment, we find that Joseph again is blessed beyond measure by God. He's placed in authority over all the other prisoners by the jailer who realizes I can just delegate all my responsibility to this guy. Everything he does succeeds. He has control over the prison. He's managing everything for me and he can't do anything about it. I don't have to pay him. It's perfect. I can get paid and do nothing um, in return for the money. And so the Lord is with him. And because of Joseph's faithfulness, whatever he did, the Lord made him succeed. This is a gross injustice. For all that God is blessing, uh, blessing his servant, this is a terrible injustice. And yet, the Lord goes with his servant. So that at each step of the way, the injustice of being sold into slavery, the injustice of uh, the, the false accusations, the injustice of being imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit, the injustice of being forced to work for the, um, the prison officer, the, the jailer, for, and do all his work for none of the money. The Lord is constantly with Joseph and blesses him and encourages him and builds him up and equips him because at the end of the day... Joseph having a comfortable, successful life in worldly terms is not God's desire. God's desire goes way above and beyond that. And so Joseph's comfort isn't necessary. But all of these experiences, because we must realize this hasn't happened in, in the space of two weeks. Joseph hasn't been sold into slavery by his brothers. You know, a week later arrives in Egypt and all of a sudden, you know, on the Monday is, is the head of Potiphar's household and then by the Friday is, is thrown into jail. This will have taken decades for this story to have worked itself out as Joseph worked his way up through the, the household of Potiphar and, and then the whole situation with Potiphar's wife unfolds. This is weeks and months and years this has taken to unfold. But at every step of the way, 
Joseph has been prepared and equipped by God for something greater. And at every step of the way through that equipping, because Joseph has walked faithfully with God, God has never left or forsaken Joseph. He constantly blesses his hands, whatever he does, because the Lord is with him and he goes with the Lord. And it's a challenge and an encouragement to us that as we go through this life, we are going to face injustice. We are going to work hard and we are going to feel aggrieved that God has perhaps abandoned us. We've worked hard and we've labored for him and things haven't worked out the way we felt they ought to for all that we've done for God. We're going to forget in that moment where we utter those words of accusation, all that God has done for us and sending Christ to be our Savior when we didn't deserve it. We're going to forget how often God lavishly blesses us with the the everyday things of life that we enjoy, family and friendship and food and shelter and clothing and the the weather and uh, with peace in our land through the government and the police force and, and all of these things that come by the blessing of God, the unmerited favor of God in our lives. We're going to forget all of that in those moments when we say, how could you let this happen to me? I don't deserve this. I deserve something better as we accuse God of not being good enough to us. And it's understandable we're going to be like that. We're human and we drop our eyes from God and look only at ourselves so often. It's going to be something that we do. And yet we must remember, we must call ourselves back to this Fact And remember that the Lord always goes with his people, even through times of great injustice. Because what the Lord desires is something greater than our comfort. The Lord has a much bigger plan in mind and involves you and I as his children in that plan and so must prepare and equip us for that task. And we'll see what that is as we work through the rest of our passage this morning. But it's important we remember, however aggrieved we feel, And however frustrated we feel as we look overseas and see our brothers and sisters in Pakistan and India and China and Iran imprisoned for their beliefs uh, as a Christian people, expected to give up their confession that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And if they do, then they'll be released. And if they don't, then they'll be imprisoned and possibly even killed. We are frustrated at that injustice. We're frustrated at the injustice of plagues and pandemics killing people and making people sick and filling hospitals. We're frustrated at the injustice of the experiences that our families go through, whether it be sickness and death, or whether it be through difficult circumstances and the breakdown of relationships or whatever it is. We're going to feel the sting of that. And yet in the midst of it all, the Lord goes with his people. And the Lord will bless us as we seek to walk faithfully with him. And we're not going to see it at the time. When Joseph began his life in Potiphar's household, did he understand what would come? Almost certainly not. And yet at each step of the way he remained faithful and the Lord led him on and led him on and led him on and in the end raised him to the heights of the household before sending him to prison. But we'll see where the the story goes. The Lord goes with his people even through times of injustice. The Lord goes with his people through times of loss. And as we turn to chapter 40, we find that Joseph's life takes another turn. 
And we see that God continues to bless him even while he's in prison. At the end of 39, he blesses Joseph um, and puts him in a position of authority over the other prisoners. But while he's in prison, we find that there are other people in the king's household that have been sent there. The king's cupbearer and the king's baker have been cast into prison because of uh, their inappropriate behavior and the king's anger and frustration, and they are imprisoned. And while there, they have these peculiar dreams. And again, we find dreams cropping up in the the life of Joseph as a sign that God is doing something unusual. This is not ordinary. And dreams like this, we shouldn't expect them to be ordinary in the lives of God's people. It happens so rarely, and it happens really for a reason, to point out the extraordinariness of that particular time and situation. And so the baker and the king's cupbearer have these dreams and wonder what they mean. And God gives Joseph understanding as to what these dreams mean. And he is able to interpret them to these men. And to the one he says that this dream is is a great sign to the the cupbearer. One day in the near future, you're going to be released from prison and be back in the service of the king. You'll be at his side. You will be his cupbearer again. And so, um, don't lose heart. And the, the baker, understandably, encouraged by, by those words, wonder what, wonders what his dream meant. And yet Joseph has words of condemnation to him. There will be no favor for him. The king is finished with him. And he will not be spared. He will, in the end, uh, be executed by the king. And we have in the interpretation of these dreams a clear sign that God continues with Joseph even when everything has been ripped away from him and he's just left languishing in prison, which is even worse than being a slave in the household of Potiphar. Who's to say when he will ever get out? Who's to say that he won't indeed be killed himself as a result of this injustice um, that has been heaped up against him? And yet, in this moment, God uses him powerfully and we find that the the cupbearer to the king is restored to the side of Pharaoh. And as uh, Joseph has interpreted this dream, he says, when you are restored, I want you to remember me. Don't forget that I'm here. I want to get out of here because it's not right that I'm in prison. And the cupbearer says, of course, and then immediately forgets, given that he's been elevated back up to his position of power and authority, he forgets Joseph. The baker meets his fate, and Joseph languishes in prison. And yet we find God going with him. We know that there is still more to come. That Joseph is going to be elevated not just to the head of a household, but to the head of all households in Egypt in the coming chapter. Because the Lord has not abandoned him, even though it would appear that God's judgment has fallen on him. Because this is how people in the ancient world thought. When you go through times of great loss, it's because God, or the gods in the pagan world, are taking things away from you because of your lack of faithfulness, your lack of service and obedience and worship. Whatever it might be, you must have done something terrible. And we still think like that today, don't we? What could I possibly have done to have justified this? 
Have I not been reading God's Word enough? Have I not been giving myself in prayer enough? Or the flip side, we think, God, if you will lift me up from this circumstance, I will do this or that or the next thing for you. I'll pray more. I'll give more to the church. I'll I'll serve more dutifully. Anything. Just take this situation away from me. The meaning of all of this is exactly the same. God has taken something away, has placed me into a time of loss. Because something about my life has gone wrong, is lacking, it hasn't been right. The idea is that God is going to get me if I go through these, um, these times of loss, if I'm not faithful enough. And so if I uh, make up enough to God, then maybe he'll give me all the stuff back that's been lost or give me even more than I had to begin with. Joseph's life and his blessings have been reduced down to almost nothing. And he would be right in our way of thinking, in the way of thinking of the world, to to ask God, what on earth is going on? What have I done wrong? How can I make this right? If you do this for me, I will give myself completely to you. But Joseph doesn't do that. He continues to serve faithfully. And I find this fascinating. Wherever Joseph is, regardless of how much he has been reduced In life, he is not the arrogant young man that he once was before his brothers. You'll all bow down before me. He just humbly serves wherever he is. God has gifted him and he uses those gifts. doesn't matter where he is and what he's doing. doesn't matter to him that he's in prison or if he's in the household of Potiphar. He's going to serve. He needs to stay faithful because God is still his God. And at the end of the day, it's not his place to know what God is doing. God goes with his people even in times of loss, perhaps especially in times of loss. It can be a frustration for us, and yet it's in these times, is it not, that we most realize the place of God, the significance of God, the importance of God in our lives. We never pray more than when we're on the verge of losing something truly significant to us whether it's our livelihood, whether it's family members or friends, whether it might be um, our, our material possessions in life, when it looks like everything is going to be ripped away, we pray like there's no tomorrow. Because we're sometimes worried there might not be a tomorrow. And there's no one else to appeal to. And in those moments, we're wiser, I think, than we realize. Because we confess in those moments of loss or in preparation to lose everything. We realize that He is more than I am. He alone is sufficient to the task of dealing with this particular problem. But we forget that regardless of whether God remedies the situation to our satisfaction or not, He will walk with us right through the midst of it all. At the beginning of John's Gospel, we read that Jesus dwells with us. He tabernacles in the the literal language of John 1 with his people. And it brings to mind all of the imagery of the Old Testament of God um, going with his people. And as they enter into the promised land, he instructs them to build this tent. And he will literally dwell, his presence will be in this tent of meeting, this tabernacle. And it will be at the center of the camp. And wherever the people of Israel go, he must be in the midst because he walks with his people wherever they go. He will never leave them or forsake them. And all of that imagery is brought to bear by John at the beginning of his Gospels. And we see that here. Everything is torn away from Joseph. And yet in the prison cell, God is still blessing this faithful young man. 
And it's the same for us. It helps us to realize our need of God, but also it helps us to realize the value of the things that he has given us. They all come second to him and his presence. Because when we labor for him, we love him and we serve him, we realize that all we have been given has been given for his glory and for service in his world, for his kingdom, whatever that may happen to be. Joseph's laboring for God's rule. He's using everything he has. And so it is for us. God goes with his people even through times of great loss when it seems so unfair. And yet in those moments we realize what we have been given by God and why. And we call out to him for his aid. And we call out to him because we believe he's there. Because he goes with us. We find lastly in chapter 41 that God goes with his people not just through times of injustice or loss, but through times of great promise. And it seems strange to say that. Of course he goes with his people through times of great promise. But think about your life. Think about all the times when you have been blessed beyond measure. Has your first thought always been to give thanks to God, to glorify Him for the goodness in your life? Or has it been to enjoy the things that we've been given and not to focus on on God really very much at all? It's only in those moments when everything threatens to be taken away that all of a sudden we realize that we need to call out to the Lord. We don't continue to call out to God with fervency and with passion when we're being blessed beyond measure because we're enjoying the, the goodness of those blessings. And so it's important we remember that when we're blessed richly that God continues to go with us. Because if he didn't, we wouldn't be blessed. And in chapter 41 we find that the, uh, that the Pharaoh, that the king of Egypt, begins to have these disturbing dreams, these famous dreams that you'll uh, be aware of, of the seven fat cows and the seven thin cows, and he just can't figure it out. And none of his courtiers, none of the, the most educated people in the land can figure this dream out. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer suddenly remembers this guy in prison who knew what dreams meant. So he says to Pharaoh that that there's this young man, I know who can help you. And so they drag poor Joseph out of prison. He's been there for ages, forgotten. And he's presented to the Pharaoh. And he boldly tells Pharaoh a message that nobody's going to want to tell the king. Well, there's going to be seven years of plenty, but there's going to be seven dreadful years of famine. How tempting would it have been to say, yes, king, there's going to be great years of plenty in the hope that Pharaoh will let me out of prison and then I can get out of here before the famine comes. The Egyptians aren't Joseph's friends, they're his captors. And yet he lays it all before the king in humility and says there's going to be good times and then there's going to be dreadful times. And if we are wise, we can lay up enough in the good times to stave off the bad. And this is what we find Pharaoh does. Pharaoh has the wisdom and the providence of God to see that this prisoner, this guy who's been accused of adultery, of, of attempting to take advantage of one of his own courtier's wives, actually really understands what's going on. That God has his hand upon this man. And so he elevates him to the second highest position in the land, that of, of prime minister, essentially. Places everything under Joseph's control and says, you deal with this problem. You're the one who understands it. Figure it out. And so Joseph lays up all through those seven years of plenty uh, enough food to see them through. And he saves the lives of tens of thousands of people. 
We're not used to famine in the UK, in in 21st century uh, UK, and yet famine was a very real threat for most of human history. If a famine comes, it is not the case that you can just send out to a neighbouring country to ship in more food. It just doesn't work like that. Because the kingdoms of the world in that time weren't great friends. And if your nation's starving to death, well, that's your problem. This is great time for us to come and conquer your nation and bring you all in under our rule. And so if Egypt goes through famine, they are in serious, serious trouble. They're going to see the starvation and the death of many thousands of their citizens. And indeed, we find the famine extends right up into the land of Canaan. And Joseph ends up bringing about the salvation of tens of thousands of people. And if we remember rightly to our passage last week, where we paused briefly on the life of Judah, this terrible, unfaithful, adulterous man. And we see in contrast Joseph, this faithful good man who shuns adultery and stays faithful to God and is used by God. We see God use the faithful son to preserve the life of the unfaithful son, Judah, through whom the Savior of the world, Jesus, will come. Amazing work of providence on the part of God. And so we see um, Joseph coming and being placed over all and God going with his people through times of promise, delivering his, uh, his servant Joseph and raising him up. Joseph goes t- through times of great hardship and there is no guarantee that he will come through the other side, although we see that he does. It's like James Dyson. It's like what Johnny Ive, one of the head designers for Apple for many years, said. There was never the inevitability of success. We tried and we tried and we tried to develop amazing products with no idea whether it would work or not. We just had to go forward in hope and in expectation. And so it is with our lives that we go forward and there is no expectation that all will go well in our lives. And yet that is not why we go on. We go on because God goes with us. And we go forward in hope because God goes with us. God uses each circumstance in Joseph's life to bless him and lead him on a little further so that 20 years after it all first goes wrong, Joseph is used to save the world from starvation. And the key for Joseph is that he never focuses on... uh, that goal. He never focuses on some great plan that he has for his life. He focuses on staying faithful to God and on using the gifts that God has given him in each situation he finds himself at that time in the confidence that even though he's in Egypt, even though everything's been ripped away from him, even though injustice seems to prevail, I know my God goes with me. The question we have to ask is where does our journey in life head? Ultimately, we know whatever God may do with our individual lives, with each day and week and month and year, He is building His kingdom in the world. And when Christ returns, He will take this kingdom that He has captured, that He has conquered, and present it to His heavenly Father as a gift. And that the Father will raise Christ up and seat Him on the throne and will place the world under his feet as his footstool. And the symbolism we have in Scripture is that Christ will rule over this whole world in eternity in perfect harmony, peace, and glory. That is where we are headed. 
And so we have to ask, does everything we do focus on that end? The rule of Christ, the coming and the establishment of his kingdom here in Livingston and beyond in the wider world. This gives us a way of understanding our lives and our focus of not just individual lives, but the life of our church. Regardless of the times we live in, in times of plenty, in times of hardship, in injustice or loss, everything is preparing and equipping us to move towards that glorious end, to play our part in the coming of that glorious future. The way forward might well take a lot longer than we think it ought to. It might be a lot harder than we think it should be. The path might not appear to be going in the right way at all because of the circumstances we are facing. And yet, like Joseph, like Israel wandering in the wilderness, wondering why we're not getting to the promised land, like Jesus going to the cross instead of being lifted up and enthroned in Jerusalem, the way will lead to God's plans and purposes being worked out perfectly, but just not by the route that we might first think. Are we willing to see that end come regardless of the cost and submit ourselves to that end, regardless of the path we might have to wander on to get us there? Are we willing to labor with everything we have in each moment of victory or seeming defeat for that purpose, knowing that while we labor, faithfulness is the key, not worldly success and glory. If we're willing to work to that end, we will know that God goes with us through any circumstance, whether good or bad, and we will be strengthened and enabled to carry on laboring for the glory of God. We want to see God's kingdom come. We want to see his rule extend, people saved and transformed. We want that more than anything else. And the path to that place isn't going to be straight and easy. It's going to be hard and it's going to wind about all over the place as God works out all his plans and his purposes to bring that end about. So will we be faithful? Will we be able to stay the course? The Lord is leading us. He promises that however hard things are, He is not forsaking us. However many failures come, however many successes are achieved, He will go with us because in the end, it is His plans and His purposes that He is about. So let's go forward in the encouragement of knowing however frustrated we might be at this time, the Lord is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I want you to go into this coming week knowing the presence of God. Amen. And now as you prepare to go out into the coming week to love God, live for him and serve him, I want you to go knowing the blessing of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Now may God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.